Well, God bless you. Welcome to the wonderful Words of Life radio program. We are going to be in Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 17 today, and also in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. And we're going to be talking about faith, we're going to be talking about righteousness, and we're going to be talking about what our place is in the plan and in the purpose of God. So let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get right into the Word of God. Father, we yield ourselves to you. Teach us, Father, through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to grasp the truths that are in your word. And, Father, we'll give you the praise and honor for that. In Jesus' name, for all to the glory of God, in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Praise God. All right, Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge, not according to revelation knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted. That's very important. Have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Now, the word ignorant there. Uh, it means uh, to err or to sin through a mistake. It means to be wrong. To be ignorant is to be wrong, is not to have the accurate knowledge one would need uh, to understand the, the gift of righteousness. Uh, they sinned, Israel sinned, they sinned and they erred, not necessarily through the ignorance, through unbelief. It was the type of ignorance that produced unbelief, and it was their choice. It was that their choice that caused them not to submit uh, to the plan and purpose of God for their salvation. They could not see past uh, the law, and they could not see Christ as being their Messiah. So the Jews' plan was to go about to establish their own righteousness, which they thought through the law of Moses. But God's plan was of righteousness uh, through Christ. And, of course, this is what the Jews rejected. Not all Jews, but Jews as a whole. Uh, and, of course, you know, uh, John records in John chapter 5, it says that they would not believe. didn't say that they could not. It says they would not believe. And because of that, they remained in darkness. Now, verse 4 tells us, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. End of the law is not talking about the law has been abolished. It means as a means of attaining the righteousness of God. Christ is the end of that. He fulfilled that law. And now, through faith in Christ, we now receive the righteousness of God, which is in uh, Christ Jesus. And, of course, we understand that the law just could go so far. The law brought us to Christ. The end of the law brings men to Christ, which is the beginning of the gift of righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. And the unbelieving Jews, they stopped short of this. But it's always been God's sovereign plan to bring men to Christ. Amen. It's man's response. It's our responsibility to repent and believe the gospel. Amen. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. 
And if we have ears to hear that, hear the gospel, God will deposit faith on the inside of us. And of course, you know, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but uh, we're going to see that as we go along, that uh, God will plant enough faith on the inside of us, open up our eyes to see our need of Christ and the gospel. And then through faith, we can be saved. Amen. Uh, Ephesians chapter two, by grace, so you save through faith. Praise God. All right, Romans uh, chapter 10 and verse 5 says, For Moses describes the righteousness which is of the law, that the men which do, does those things shall live by them. See the restriction. The restriction is on the individual to produce righteousness by keeping the law. And, of course, the Jew proved through the years that they were unable to do that. The Sanhedrin, they were keepers of the law, but yet they sought to murder Christ. And so even though they were keepers of the law, they broke the law because the Jesus said this, the greatest commandment in the scriptures is to love God with all of your heart, mind, soul and strength. And the second law is akin to it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, why did they seek to murder Jesus? Amen. A, a man that, that did no wrong. There was no guile in his mouth. There was no he was sinless. He was harmless. He was the son of God but yet they sought to kill him. But now verse 6 says this, But the righteousness which is of faith speaks on this wise, Say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ again from the dead. Now this is Paul quoting Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 14. And Deuteronomy 30 says pretty much the same thing the way Paul describes it. But the last part of each verse says that we may hear it and do it. In other words, uh, who shall ascend into heaven to bring the word or bring Christ down from above that we may hear it and do it? Uh, no. Verse 8 says, but what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. So what did the apostles preach? They preached the death, burial, resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They preached the gospel. They did exactly what Christ commanded. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And of course, uh, you know, Matthew records that we are to go. All authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. Go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost and teaching them to observe all things that uh, that I command you. And so the word of faith is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, the word of faith is the entire New Testament. We could say it this way. The word of faith is the entire Bible, Old and New Testaments. But now Paul said it this way. He said, the word is near you. And that's the gospel of the grace of God. And men are saved when they come to the knowledge of the truth. That's the purpose of the gospel, to preach to men the truth. I thought until I heard the gospel with an open heart, God opened up my heart. He opened up my eyes to see it. Before that time, I thought I was good enough to be saved. Even though I was living in sin, I thought I was a morally good person and could be saved. 
But that night, that fateful night that God opened my heart to the gospel, I saw for the first time that there was nothing good in me, that I was without God godless, that I was without hope hopeless. And my only hope was to bow my knees, submit my knees to Jesus Christ and accept the offer of God of salvation through his precious blood. And it was that night that I received Christ and was born again. And that was well over 50 years ago. So men are saved when they come to the knowledge of the truth. Something has to happen on the inside of them first. Uh, God working, and I call it the operation of God. The operation of God has got to work in the individual to be a, for him to be able to see himself as he really is and then to trust Christ with that. Like one man said, to come to Christ with the empty hands of faith to receive him through his mercy and through his grace in order to be saved. So that's the gospel. The gospel's here. The gospel's now. And men are to receive, in order to receive Christ, they're going to have to believe the gospel in order to be saved. And so now Paul then describes the operation of God in salvation. And this is true in every area of our life. You know, if we're in want of finances, if we're in want of health, if we're in want of emotion, in emotional areas, if we're in want in, in uh, physical areas, in, in any situation, in any circumstance, uh, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus touches every one of these areas of our life. Well, this is a law. It's called the law of faith, and this is how the law operates and Paul describes this law in verses 9 and 10. He says this, But if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So notice the heart and mouth connection in these two verses. Once again, we have to confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus. And we have to believe in our heart everything that the gospel says about him, that he died, that he was laid in a tomb, and that he rose from the dead. Paul capsulizes the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ in this one part of verse 9, that God hath raised him from the dead. When we do that then, and we do that by faith, notice believing in our heart, confessing with our mouth, then we shall be saved. We've met all the criteria, all the requirements that God has established for a man to be saved. Notice he doesn't just say believe. He says believe and confess. And then once again, verse 10, for with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So whatever you believe in your heart, you're going to say it with your mouth. Whatever's in your heart is going to come out of your mouth. Amen. And so that's exactly that's a principle of life. What we believe we're going to say out of our mouth. And so if we have faith in Christ in our heart, it's going to come out of our mouth. Amen. 
Notice this is a heart and mouth connection. It's not a mind and mouth confection, uh, uh, connection. Uh, the mind plays a principal part, but this has nothing to do with receiving Christ in the mind. This has everything to do with receiving Christ in our heart, believing with our heart that Jesus is exactly who the gospel says he is, and then confessing the fact that we have received, that we believe Christ and we confess him as Lord and Savior. This is what produces salvation in our heart. This is God's requirement for us in order to be saved. So this is the pattern that every sinner has to follow if he's to receive Christ and if he's going to be born again. I use these three principles. Number one, the sinner has to accept Jesus Christ personally as the Savior. And number two, he has to believe the scriptures. He has to believe the gospel, God's record of his son, and be willing to receive Christ personally as his Savior. And then the third is we must confess Jesus that he is exactly who he is, confess him as our personal Savior in order for us to receive the full pardon of sins. And it's exactly what Jesus said at the beginning of his ministry when he said, repent and believe the gospel. And when we do that, it's imputed to us God's righteousness. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Notice, we cannot do this ourselves. See, this is the thing that tripped the unbelieving Jews up. They thought they could attain righteousness by keeping the law. All the law did was point them to Christ. Amen. That's why verse 4 says Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. But they were not willing to take that next step. They went about to establish their own righteousness. And as a result of that, they found themselves without Christ and without God and without hope. Now, verse 11 says this, and this is also very important, too. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And of course, the word ashamed is uh, means to dishonor. It means to disgrace. Let me read this again. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And the word ashamed in the Greek means to dishonor or it means to disgrace. It means to put to a shame. It means to make a shame. Principally, it means to disappoint. And so Paul is saying here that he who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ will not be disappointed. But notice it doesn't. Paul didn't say he'll be saved. It just says he'll not be disappointed. He will not be ashamed. Why is that? Well, because there's a lot of people that believe Jesus is the son of God. There's a lot of people that believe that Jesus is exactly uh, who the Bible describes him as. But yet they don't go far enough. And Paul explains that in the next two verses. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Notice the last part of that verse, that call upon him. Now, we're adding the next principle and the kind of faith that receives from God. We not only believe 
but we call upon him. For verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. And that's exactly what the Greek means. Shall call upon. To invoke Christ. To invoke his death, his burial, his resurrection, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, to invoke that, to give expression to our faith, to act upon our faith. We believe that Jesus is the Savior, so we call upon him. In other words, we confess him as our Lord and our Savior. And then uh, salvation comes. The new birth comes. Well, see, it works the same way as far as finances or as far as physical needs, or as far as emotional needs. All of these are covered in the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And all the all these facets of our life, if we're lacking in any of them, this is how we make up the difference. This is how we make up the lack. It's through believing in the gospel and confessing the gospel. Amen. The gospel, uh, to be saved, uh, doesn't just mean saved from sin. It means to be delivered. It also means to be healed. It also means to be set free. Hallelujah. Praise God. That is exactly what the gospel is. It is a gospel for our whole man, for our spirit, our soul, and our body. And then Paul goes on and he says this, beginning in verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard. And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who hath believed our report? Verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That is a very important verse of scripture. Notice that. So then, faith, which is the Greek word pistis, it means to be convinced, to be fully persuaded. It means to believe in, in this case, it would be to believe in Jesus Christ that he is exactly what the word of God says he is comes, so then faith comes by hearing. Hearing with the ear, hearing instruction, hearing the preaching of the gospel, faith in the gospel, and hearing again, notice that, by the word of God which was being preached. Now, the word there is the Greek word rhema. It's not logos, it's rhema. And this Greek word speaks of the voice of God. It speaks of the spoken word of God. It speaks of the utterance of the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that uh, produces as the power of God unto salvation. So uh, the preached, the spoken word of God is so important. That's how faith comes. So somebody... Hearing the gospel for the first time. And if he doesn't act upon it. Then hearing the gospel that one time may not be enough to produce the kind of faith for this man to rise up and to claim Christ as his own. 
But a person that continues to hear and hear and hear the gospel preached. There is faith being deposited on the inside of him that's going to cause him, the light's going to come on, the Holy Spirit. Remember now, he that believes will not be ashamed. That means that God then, he opens himself up to that person that believes the gospel and begins working in that person. And that person comes to that place where he then begins to call upon the Lord and he'll be then saved. Well, it's, it works the same in the area of healing in every area of our life. If we're lacking in any area, if we're lacking in hearing, maybe we have some infirmity in our bodies. Maybe we have some problems in our emotional area. Maybe uh, we're, uh, we're yielding to the sin of rejection, for instance. And we know it's wrong for us to have the kind of feelings that we feel uh, towards other people, but we don't know what to do about it. Well, the remedy is in the Word of God. And as we begin to pour over the Scriptures, as we begin to write the Scriptures out, and as we begin to uh, confess the Scriptures, we are building and meditate the Scriptures we are building. Years ago, uh, when I was in Bible school, uh, there was a flu virus going around, and I contracted that fruit flu virus. And I got home from work. I was running a fever. I got into bed. I was shivering, uh, nauseated, all the symptoms of, of the uh, influenza. And I got up early in the morning. I couldn't sleep. I went downstairs, and uh, I just started meditating on the Word of God. And it was like the Holy Spirit revealed to me that the more I meditate in the Word of God, the more God begins to breathe, because really that's what inspiration uh, means. It means God breathed. And the more I meditated, the more God breathed, and I realized then that He was breathing in me uh, the gospel of healing. as well. I was already saved, but I was receiving God breathing in my spirit uh, the gospel of healing. And the anointing and the power of God hit me, and I stood up. When I stood up that early in the morning, and I raised my hands, every symptom of influenza left me. I was totally and completely healed. That's the power of God. That's the power of hearing and hearing the Word of God, the rhema of God. Amen. You can hear the rhema of God while you're meditating in the Scriptures. You can hear the rhema of God while the word of God is being preached. You can hear the rhema of God by speaking the word out of your mouth. There's power in that. And that's that's something that we in the body of Christ today lack. And I, I'll just confess to you, I lack it. I don't confess the word as much as I should. I don't speak, of, although I do a lot of meditating in the word of God, I don't speak it as much as I should. And I bet you that you don't either. And so if if we're stuck in a place, if we're like stuck in the mud when it comes to spiritual growth, this will get us out of the mud and this will get us on the highway uh, to holiness. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, that's a discussion of faith. Now, let's go over to Romans chapter 12. We're going to be here for just a few moments. Probably won't get past uh, the first two verses. But notice... <clears throat> We're now in the more practical part of the book of Romans, how we apply everything that Paul 
wrote to the Roman church up to uh, Romans chapter 12. Now we're going to begin to apply that uh, to our heart and life. Now, uh, the first uh, 11 chapters of the book of Roman is just loaded, loaded with all kinds of revelation truth, things that we need to pack into our spirit and pack into our consciousness. Amen. It'll help us to grow in the things of God. But notice in uh, Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse one, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, very familiar passage of scripture by the mercies of God. See, it's God's mercies that keep us. Amen. Even where we're not supposed to be where we are with the Lord, it's God's mercy that works with us, his long suffering, giving us time, amen, to grow in the things of God, to learn how to put off the old and put on the new, praise God, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, verse one tells us that uh, God is urging us, the apostle is urging us, you know, in view of God's mercy, for us then to offer our physical bodies as living sacrifices, to be willing to do this, to be willing to lay our physical body on the altar of sacrifice. Amen. Something that is holy, something that is pleasing to God as a spiritual act of worship. And so Paul is saying here, in lieu of everything that I've taught you, this is what you need to do. This is how you put this into practice. And it's all due to God's mercy. But you present your bodies. Don't let your body tell you what you're going to do. You tell your body what you're going to do. There are things in this world that are perfectly fine. Going to the golf course is perfectly fine. But not on Sunday morning. Going to the beach is fine. If you want to go to the beach with your family, that's fine. Not on a church day, not on a church night. You know, used to that years ago that uh, if we had a doctor's appointment, uh, the doctors would not schedule appointments on Wednesday because everybody went to church. Now, that's the first date that they give you. You know, I need an appointment to go get my blood checked or I need an appointment to get a physical, whatever. You know, I'm, normally, normally now it'll be on a Wednesday. A Wednesday afternoon. And uh, I've had to get on church members, you know, and ask them, why are you getting doctor's appointments on Wednesday when you should be in the house of God? You see, for us not to go to the doctor, not to ask for an appointment on a Wednesday is offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. To offer our bodies as a living sacrifice is that we don't get to do everything that is legal for us to do. We put God first. Presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, that is putting God first. Notice what Paul writing to the Galatian church says. And they that are Christ's have, notice that, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. And then verse 2 tells us this, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen. Two things concerning renewing our mind that we must focus on. Two things that we have to understand about our minds is that, number one, we have to judge every thought that comes into our mind 
under the authority of Christ. And we do that by the mirror of God's word. We shine that thought in the mirror of God's word. We say within our conscience, what does the word of God have to say about this? By yielding ourselves to the word of God, by yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit, we're able to judge every thought. And the second thing that we have to understand is that a wandering mind greatly hinders the effectiveness of prayer and greatly hinders our meditating in the word of God. These are two essentials. If we're going to grow spiritually, we're going to be effective in prayer and we're going to have to meditate the word of God. Amen. And if we'll do these things, then we are going to be successful and we're going to find our place in God. Amen. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word, Lord. We give you praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer and desire to know more about the gift of Christ that the Heavenly Father offers you, then email us at rbtc86 at gmail.com. We will be glad to answer your questions promptly and provide you at your request with materials that will help you to grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus. This is Patsy Dunning. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. And let me remind you to tune in to this station at the same time next week to hear more of the wonderful words of life. God bless you and remember what Jesus said. It is the Spirit who gives life.